And we are carrying on our series uh, called The Message of the Cross, leading us up to Easter, uh, looking at the cross and how God describes it, God explains it. Um, there's many people with ideas about the cross, but let's go to God himself. Uh, let's open his word and look at that. And today I've got a couple of readings for us, uh, both from First John. So if you want to grab a Bible, because you might want to flick between them, uh, we'll take them one at a time. Uh, but I encourage you to follow along. So our first one is in 1 John chapter 2, and it's verses 1 and 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Let me read it to you. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is God's word to us. And I've got three points today. Three points, and I want you to remember these words. They all start with A. Atoned, advocate, and announce. Atoned, advocate, and announce. Because I want to answer three questions. Questions I think God answers. And the first one is, what has Jesus done for us? And it's he has atoned for us. Second one is, what does Jesus continue to do for us? He is an advocate for us. And lastly, what are we called to do in him? What are we called to do as his people? We are called to announce his good news through our words and actions. And atonement is not a word we use a great deal these days. As a pastor, uh, one of the things I have sensitive ears to is anytime someone talks about God or uses a theological word, uh, an atonement needn't be especially theological. But I don't hear many people say it. Maybe your experience is different. And this is unfortunate because it is absolutely one of the terms God uses to describe the cross. One of the terms he uses to describe what Jesus has done on the cross. And we need to understand it. We do. The message of the cross is the message of atonement. In fact, sometimes the cross is called just that, the atonement. And this hits upon the fact that the cross was God's tool, God's method to make atonement for you and I. If we want to understand what God was doing in this most important of acts, and it is the most important of acts, then we need to understand something at least about atonement. And when we read the word atonement in the Bible, we need to think of an action, the, or sorry, the action of making amends for wrong or injury. The action for making amends for wrong or injury. And in the Bible, uh, that wrong or injury is sin. It's our sin. But, and this is a big but, when we talk about m the action of making amends for wrong or injury, for making, taking the action for making amends for sin, uh, that's not us. That is not us. It's not you. It's not me. It is God. And we need to be clear about this. Let me explain. 
In Genesis 3 verse 21, we read this verse. Uh, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Might seem a strange place to start, but stick with me here. This happens right after the fall, right after Adam and Eve have sinned, and God has told them what this means. What are the consequences for their sin? Death has come. Life will be hard. The brokenness they experience between God will be experienced in all their relationships. Their relationships, yes, with God, their relationships with each other, even this relationship with this world, the ground will be hard. Life's going to be hard now. And then God goes and does this. He makes clothes for them. And that might seem nice. Okay, they tried with some leaves or something, tried to cover themselves up, who knows. But God closed them. But it shows us something right here at the start. Yes, Adam and Eve, they needed clothing. They needed a covering, but not so much for their nakedness, but for their shame. And who provides it? God. Here, right after their sin, it is God clothing them. And most commentators about this would say this this gives, up a heads, gives us a heads up about what's going to happen, that animal sacrifice, animals covering our sin, covering our, our nakedness, our shame before God, will be a thing. It will be something that God will do. And if you read much of the Old Testament, uh, animal sacrifices are a thing, aren't they? They're a pretty big thing, aren't they? Seems like you're forever bumping into them, one after another after another. And there are many of them, many different ones. We can't talk about them all. But we can talk about the most important one in the Old Testament. And this comes in Leviticus 16, where we come across the Day of Atonement. Or as we might hear it today, you might hear it called Yom Kippur, as it is in Hebrew. This one day of the year was the day when the high priest would intercede for the sins of God's people. He would intercede before God for all of God's people's sins for that year. Can you imagine the pressure of this? All on one guy going before God. Don't stuff it up. Uh, And I sort of joke about that, but they could stuff it up. They could. Aaron was the very first high priest and he had several sons, but two of his sons served with him. We read about them in Leviticus 10. They offered the wrong fire before God and the fire of God struck them dead. Now, if that sounds a bit harsh to you, the point of it is, even if you're a priest, you can't just approach God how you want to. You can't. God is holy. He is so morally pure that even to approach what we would call his footstool on earth, the mirror of his heavenly throne, it's not even where he resides. It's just a mirror of it. If you were to approach that wrongly or incorrectly, you will die. This this wasn't something to mess about with. And the high priests, they knew it. And so the very first thing the high priest would do was to offer a sacrifice for his own sin. Uh, this was a bull, and it's not, we're not told this, but I'm fairly sure the high priest made sure they got the best bull around. 
But he had to cover his own sin first. He had to offer a sacrifice. He had to offer something in his place, a death, a life in his place. And it was only then that the high priest would offer a sacrifice for the people's sin. And this was a goat whose blood would be taken before God right into the center of the Holy of Holies, this room where the Ark of the Covenant lay, where no one went for the rest of the year, would go in there and offer the blood of this goat. And do you know what the top of the Ark was called? The atonement cover. And it was there the blood was spread around before God. And it was then after making this atonement that another goat could be brought in. And this goat was called, I'm not making this up, the scapegoat. And this is where we get that term. And the high priest would now lay his hands on the head of the scapegoat and confess over it all the sins of God's people for that year. I have no idea how long that took. I hope he was thorough. And then this goat, which, which bore all of these sins upon it, would be taken out, would be taken out into the wilderness and abandoned, let go. And we get the picture, don't we? This goat was cast out. It was exiled on the people's behalf. It took their sin and carried them away that the people might live before God. This is the key sacrifice in the Old Testament. This is a picture of atonement, and this helps us understand the cross. It prepares us for it. And so when John says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. John is pointing us to what Jesus has done, to what Jesus continues to do, and what we are sent to do. And firstly, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. These two words that I have in blue here, they're one word in Greek. Helasmos, you'll never use that again, but there you go, you heard it once. As some English translations that you read will use a single word here, propitiation. It's a great word, uh, except that none of us use it, which is problematic. But the point here is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that God laid out in the Old Testament. He is the, the final atoning sacrifice for our sins. His life, his body are the final sacrifice to make us right before God. From the very beginning, it has always been about God providing the sacrifice, the covering for our sin, and it's never changed. It's never going to change. This is the way it will always be. And John John Stott captures this when he says of Jesus' sacrifice, it is an appeasement of the wrath of God by the love of God through the gift of God. It's all God's doing. All God's doing. And perhaps the idea of God pouring out his anger, his judgment on his son makes us uncomfortable. Uh, It should. But remember, this is God's plan. And the truth of it is no one else could do it. No one, not you, not me, no one. Only God could appease his own justice. 
Only he could. Bulls and goats were always just temporary patches. They were never the final answer because they never lasted. They were never enough. They were just preparations for Jesus. But Jesus is different. Of course he is. He lasts forever. He has borne God's anger. He has borne God's judgment. And he has borne our sin away from us. Do you see how he fulfills the Day of Atonement completely? He does all the roles. He is the high priest. He doesn't need to make a sacrifice for his sin. He was sinless. He is the one who can go before God, not in some temple on earth. He can go right into God's very presence. And he doesn't, he doesn't bring a goat. He brings his own blood, his own body, his own life. What, what communion is about, what we talked with the kids about this morning. And he took our sin, he took it all the way to the grave. It's as far away from you as it can go. But he is not lost, is he? No, he is alive. And unlike every other high priest before him who left the temple and left God's presence, Jesus died but was vindicated by God. He was accepted and lives now in God's very presence to do what? To advocate. To advocate for you. You know, this term advocate that John uses here, it's sort of a legal description. It describes someone who's, who's like a lawyer, someone who represents you, who stands up for you. And John is saying that if we sin, he could say when we sin, but he says if we sin, our advocate is the one who has paid the price already and is in God's presence. He is in the judge's presence to do what? To stand up for us. If you are a Christian, Jesus is in heaven ready to stand up for you before God. Yes, your sin is real. It is real. And Jesus is greater. He has given his life already. He is not going to let his work fail now. He's not. He is not going to fail you. Like, do you see who is on your side? Do you see the position you have with God? There is someone as close to God as anyone can ever be representing you, standing up for you. And this must have an effect on us. It must give us hope that the one who has covered our sin yesterday is the one who stands in God's presence today saying, if it's all right, I'll pick on someone, Chris, who stands in God's presence today saying, Chris, I've covered him. He is mine. His price is paid. God, your anger is satisfied. Your justice is done. And this should drive us to our knees. Drive us to our knees in thankfulness and joy. We are not abandoned. We are not left to save ourselves. Not yesterday, not today, and not ever. Your advocate is in God's presence right now. The thing is, it's true of you, and it's true of others. Because Jesus' atoning sacrifice for us is is the only atoning sacrifice. It's the atoning sacrifice for this world. 
Now, John is not for a moment here at the end of verse 2 saying that everyone will be saved. I mean, that would be nice, but he's not saying that. That would be to ignore the rest of the Bible. That would be to ignore, just for one example, Jesus who, who very fearfully said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that there will be some who call him Lord, Lord, and to whom he will reply, I never knew you away from me. He will send them away. Now, John is saying here that anyone can be saved. He is saying that Jesus' atonement for us is also the atonement for others, whoever they are. You know, I was thinking about this week, one of the reasons we don't get to judge people, and by judge I mean write them off, saying you are done, uh, is because judging is God's job. He is the judge. But a part of that, if you or I were to judge someone, we are saying they are beyond God's grace. We are saying Jesus is not enough for them. I think God takes that personally when you say stuff like that about his son. And I know that's not what you meant. You were saying they're not good enough. God's saying, no, they're not. But my son is. So we need to be careful when we judge others. And this must have an effect on us. This experience of God's grace changes us. I'm not saying it might change us. I'm saying it will change us. Later in the same lesson, John connects Jesus' atonement, what we've been talking about, with our love for others. And these are well-known words. John 4, 1 John 4 verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This world we are in loves to talk about love. Loves it. Often we hear the phrase, love is love, which seems obvious, except that somehow we can still disagree about what love is. But John, John tells us that God is love. He's telling us it's sorted about what love is. God is love. God is the definition of love. And it's not a wishy-washy love, but a saving love, a sacrificial love, a giving love, a costly love, a love that we see and know most clearly in Jesus who is the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. Now, John's point here is that our experience of this love, of God's love, must be how we love. And that's challenging, isn't it? If we don't love like this, like this, then in John's words, uh, we don't know God. And I believe Jesus would say, He doesn't know us either. Scary, isn't it? But doesn't this ring true of God's call to us throughout the Bible? Paul tells husbands to love their wives as Christ, what? Loved the church. Now that's a big call. But that coin is two-sided. Jesus tells us to love who? Love our enemies. 
And we are also told to love our neighbours like the Good Samaritan, for example. Even if we don't know them, if it costs us, if it puts us at risk, we will cross the road. We will open our pockets. We will inconvenience ourselves to serve others and care for them. And the thing is, none of this, none of it comes naturally to us. None of it does. But this is how God has loved us, isn't it? And it is the love that we are called to. So what has Jesus done for us and for this world? Well, he has atoned for us. He has atoned for you. With his life, he has paid the price and borne God's judgment, God's anger, because you couldn't, I couldn't, no one could. Yes, it is Jesus who is the gift of God and the love of God to appease the wrath of God that we might be the people of God. And perhaps you are hearing this for the first time and you need to respond. Perhaps you are hearing this for the thousandth, the ten thousandth time, but perhaps you need to take hold of it again and stop relying on yourself. Secondly, what does Jesus continue to do for us? Well, he continues to advocate for us. He continues to advocate for you. He took your place on the cross and he continues to stand up for you in God's presence that the price has been paid. You are never, never without someone to intercede for you, whatever you do. And perhaps there is sin in your life that tempts tempts you to think you are abandoned. That is a lie. It is a lie. Perhaps there is sin in your life that you think is too big or something that you have to take care of. You never could. And that is a lie. You never saved yourself and you will never have to because your Savior stands in heaven ready to defend you. But you've got to rely on him. You've got to look to him. You've got to trust in him. You must throw yourself upon him. It's the way it's always been. It is the way it will always be. And it's great news. Great news. And lastly, what are we called to do in him then as his people? Well, we are called to announce this good news to the world in word and in deed. We are called to make known what God has done and show its truth and how we love. That just as we have not made atonement for our sins, so we don't expect that of others. You can't. You never have, you never will, and neither will they. Jesus' sacrificial atonement is for all the world, for all those who will come. And this leads us to relating to our families, to our neighbours, and even to our enemies. Yes, our enemies with the love that we ourselves have found, that we have discovered. You are atoned for. You have an advocate. And you have a mission to announce it, to make it known to this world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are still before you. So often we think 
we live in our own cocoon. Other times we are conscious that we live before the people around us. But in truth, we live before you. And we cannot stand in our own strength. Truly, we are naked without your provision. Left in our sin and shame. And oh, what a wonder it is that you would not have us be this way. You would not have us be distant, but you would have us for yourself. Not as slaves, but as your children. And yes, you would send your son, your perfect son for us. This is your plan and it is all you're doing and it is wonderful. And almighty God, we pray We ask for your help to remember this because so often we are tempted to rely on ourselves. So often our sin looks so big. So often we look away from who you are and what you've done for us. We forget where Jesus is. We forget what he is doing for us right now. But here and now we throw ourselves upon him. We look to him. Look to the one who is indeed our atonement, who has paid the price already. And on one hand we are filled with sorrow for our sin, but on the other hand we are filled with joy that your love is so great and good, that you are so steadfast and true to us. And you don't leave us there. You send us out into this world to announce it, to make it known, to make you known. That you are the saving God. Oh yes, you can't overlook sin. Oh yes, you will do justice. But you are also the God to justify. You are also the God to fulfill your own justice for us and for others. And we confess, Lord, at many times... We are timid about your love. We are timid about your goodness. We are slow to mention it. Oh, that we would be filled with your spirit and that you would give us a conviction and indeed a zeal to make you known that we have not saved ourselves. We have not pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps, but oh, you have reached down and rescued us at a great cost to yourself. And this is what you offer this world. Because you long, long to embrace this world and draw it to yourself and heal it. This is true of us. And it's true of this world. May our lives be full of your love. May there be a testimony given one day that we, we are a people who know our God because we love like him. We show forth your grace and goodness in this hurt and broken world around. We pray this in the name of your son, our saviour, the only saviour. Amen.